This week on the pod, we weigh up which coaching vacancy is more appealing to prospective applicants, discuss which teams are road warriors, talk jury duty, and the AFL's fun police. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Walsh. I'm here hosting the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast for another week. Joining me is Jake Michaels. How are you? I'm good. Uh, finally, the Brendan Bolton uh, sacking has been done, so we can all move on as Carlton supporters here. I think I think we can. Christian Jolly, do you have any thoughts you'd like to add from Champion Data? Oh, it was surprising it happened so early, but probably not surprising that it actually happened. Yeah, I think once the Brad Scott uh, domino fell, it was only a matter of time for the next one, Neil Seawing. Yeah, that's right. I, I wrote pretty passionately about why Stephen Silvani should also be under the gun just as much as Bolton, but it seemed to have, you know, the coach obviously is the one that that gets the pressure um, as the senior figure. So It's a very uh, valid point. Mm. Well, you can read the article on ESPN.com.au. Uh, but let's get straight into it because it is a big week of talking points. It's time for three on three. Another week of footy action has really been overshadowed by off-field dramas with a second club now seeking a coach after the Blues pulled the trigger on Brendan Bolton. But it does beg the question because we've now got two vacancies. Which club, Carlton or North Melbourne, is the more attractive prospect to prospective coaches, Jake? Well, I think, and just on Brendan Bolton, I think it, look, it's a shame how it happens, but it just kind of had to happen, didn't it? And if you look at his record, I don't think that sort of stacks up in any It's a win-loss in industry, sport. isn't it? It is, and, and you know, that's, that's the nature of professional sport. I mean, you have to win, and it doesn't really matter what your list is like. So, it's a bit unfortunate, but mm. it's happened now. In terms of that question, Matt, I, I, I'm a pessimistic Carlton fan. You guys know that. I'm always looking Are at... Are you? Oh, yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> but I think... Two or three years down the track, Carlton's going to sort of be a, a, a better place to be than North Melbourne, if that makes sense, um, from a potential coach. I think that the younger players are sort of developable, and I also think that there's probably a higher ceiling for Carlton. I think North Melbourne, their best players at the moment are, are older, still sort of carrying the team. And they're, let's not forget, they're probably expected to be around about the mid-pack this year. They've just had a poor start to the year. Carlton was never going to be in the midfield this year. Carlton was always going to be towards the bottom. So there's far more room for improvement for Carlton as there is for North Melbourne. I think you're right. I think there's more room for instant gratification at North Melbourne. I think a, a coach could come into that club um, next year and, and maybe scrounge an eighth or a seventh finish. And, and there'd be gratification sort of straight away, like I said. And everyone would be like, oh, well, the coach has come in and, and done a good job and they've made finals again. But Carlton would be a bit of a slower burn. But I think you can look at the list profile of the Blues, who have slashed and burned the list for the last three years. Um, and now they're their youngest and, and least experienced. But there are some sort of diamonds in the rough where you can develop these players to be really good players. And and the yeah. team will, I think, come good. I yeah. think the problem with... when we talked about, you, you, you said it's a win-loss uh, industry coaching. But list management's got a bit less pressure on it. And I think that's why Silvani's escaped some of the... Um, attention Neil is because people are more patient with list managers and list management um, and this new coach whoever that might be will come in and uh, and have some time to sort of help these players grow and develop and, and they might be better off in the long term and you can see just from this weekend that you're right that the two clubs the, the age profile is completely different Carlton were the second youngest team on the weekend and North Melbourne were the sixth oldest so the two sort of vacant jobs they're, they're these sort of two clubs heading in vastly different directions at this current kind of stage. That's right. Um, for for Carlton especially, that doesn't seem like the the rebuild is even close to being finished. So I think that would heap pressure on the next coach because they would know that they're probably facing another eighteen months worth of of tough times. Um, but one thing that concerns me about Carlton, and that's why I wrote about the Silvani um, uh, effect, if you like, is they've got 
the cornerstones of some really an exciting list in that they've got you know Weedering, Mackay, um, Cripps, obviously. Um, Walsh. Yeah, they, they've got four or five that look like they might become A graders, but they they've got nothing around them that's even close to being AFL standard. It seems. Whereas North's got a nicely balanced list. They've got. They maybe don't look like they've got the four or five young A graders that might come through, but they look like they've got a whole team that might be B plus on average. So that that might make it easier for the next coach that comes in. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Like Matt, you just said before that Carlton's done the slashing. They've done the hard yards to an extent. I still think there's a lot of slashing that's got to go on at the Blues. I think there's a lot of passengers there at the moment, and I hope that that's sort of rectified in the next you know twelve to eighteen months because this is a side. As you said, there's there's four or five genuine A graders in that side, whether they are now or will be. They are, but there's probably 15 players, maybe not 15, maybe 10, that probably aren't getting games at a lot of other clubs, you know, yeah. and this has got to change because this list isn't going to be, yes, they're going to get older and develop, but this list is not going to be taking um, the Blues into into finals territory. But if you're a coach and you're looking at uh, North's uh, better players, you could argue that their better players are, are quite old, like uh, quite a fair bit older. I mean, oh, they are. Goldstein's having a great year. Uh, Zeebel and Cunnington are sort of, you know, mid to late 20s. Ben Brown's 26, so he's not that old. But Higgins, the key backs, the... Higgins. Yeah. Um, so when, when you talk about like Robbie Tarrant and um, uh, Scott Thompson, uh, there was doubt about them being at North Melbourne next year a few weeks back. And if, if they leave, who's there down? Who's, who's who are the key backs? I mean, Vickers Willis can't stay on the park. Mm. Um, Durden's been injured. Mackay's Mackay. hasn't come on. Uh, ben Mackay, the, the North Melbourne Mackay. Uh, look, there are some concerns about North's list as well, and I think that uh, any prospective coach would have to seriously mull it over as to which club's more attractive. Uh, and I'll tell you what, if you went, <clears throat> you, uh, you'd have to make some really strong decisions as a, if you'd come in as the North Melbourne coach because I think your path at Carlton's pretty clear set. Like, you're going to have to rebuild a little bit more and hopefully reap the benefits. Mm. But at North Melbourne... You could go two ways. You can go t- two ways. Are you going to you know cut some deadwood, if you like, and really go, go hard Mason. to rebuild? Or do you actually try and top up because you've got quite a decent list, especially through the sort of mid to late career players that you do have? So it's going to be an interesting decision-making process when that person comes on board. Well, I mean, I think the mutual decision of Brad Scott leaving North was he didn't want to rebuild again. So that would Because he's been there for nine and a half years. I mean, clearly his thought was, I feel, his thought was, this list probably needs a little bit of an overhaul and that's going to take another four to five years and, and he didn't want to be a part of that. So, mm. I mean, can a coach come in and, and maybe deal with what North has and, and get them back up ladder? Maybe, but that's a, a decision for that person to make uh, so, when the job is offered. It's also interesting to look at the pressures that would be on um, a potential coach coming to either side. So if you went to North Melbourne, obviously, you know, you're probably going to be winning more games than at the Blues in your, in your first year. So the pressure's off from that extent. But at the same time, it's like if you came to Carlton... Mm. Imagine building the success. You yeah, know, and I think I, I think people are going to be a bit more lenient. Like, obviously, Brendan Bolton was over a period of four years almost. So mm. it was like, okay, this isn't working. It's it's too long. But if you came into the Blues next year and you, you only have a three, four, five win season, I don't think people will be calling for your head as quickly. Very quick question to the three Carlton supporting uh, uh, podcast members here. Who do you want as Carlton coach right now for next year? Uh, it's, it's unrealistic, quick but answers. it would be very romantic. Brett Ratton to come back. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, he, I never wanted him to leave in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Ratton it is. Yep. This okay, is unbelievable. Hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully Kane Little and Mark Ledudice make the call. And Mark Ledudice is a discussion topic for another time. Mm. Um, but look, from underperforming teams to perhaps a team which has it surprised me, at the, the very least, Fremantle have knocked off two top four teams on the road this year. 
and they've seemingly shaken last year's tag of being flat track bullies. Uh, got us thinking about which teams are good away from home and which teams aren't. Christian, do you have any insight for us? Yes, yeah, so I've gone back to 2017 again just to give us a sort of a larger sample size and looked at the sort of uh, winning uh, ratio for your home games versus your interstate games and the biggest differential. So Melbourne's actually got probably the biggest differential. They've won 42% of their games locally. 52% of their games interstate, so they probably like to get away to, you just saw them, um, I don't know, they didn't get the win, but played pretty well up in uh, Northern Territory on the weekend. Yeah, so it's, it's strange when you've, you're actually pretty competent on the road, and I think that also speaks more to the fact that Melbourne struggle on the MCG, which is their home deck, but the expanses actually don't suit the game plan, so I think they actually like getting away to the smaller ground and it can be a bit more contested. Unless it's a preliminary final. Well, then it doesn't go so well. <laughs> uh, Collingwood is similar to Melbourne, so they've won 46% of their games locally since 2017 and 56% interstate, uh, and the Hawks have a big differential as well with 40.5% won locally and 50% won interstate. Again, looking at Hawthorne, we do count their trips down to Launceston as an interstate trip. So if you were to exclude those, sorry to throw you under the bus if you haven't got it, are they much worse? Uh, yeah, they would be. I mean, their Launceston records is one, one of the better. Yeah, yeah, one of the better venues for them. So it would take them down a bit. Going the other way, Brisbane's actually uh, struggling on the road. So thirty-six percent wins uh, locally. So that would include when they've when they go and play at Metricon against the Gold Coast. That would come up as a local game for Brisbane. Uh, I've only won thirteen percent, four out of their thirty on the road since mm. two thousand and seventeen. So that's the biggest differential of any team. Richmond surprised me, sixty-seven percent locally. Only 44% on the road, so 7 out of 16. So it's, it's a fairly decent road record, but I mean a, a 23% differential between their, you know, their winning ratio at home versus interstate. Uh, and the Bulldogs have a big difference differential as well with 43% won locally and only 2 out of 17 wins interstate, which gives them a winning record of 12%. Not That's... that it's an excuse, but I wonder if it's harder for the Victorian teams to win on the road because they don't do it as much as the interstate Correct, which is, again, why I've given it 2017 to 2019, so we can include every team. If you just look at across one year, it's always going to come up with West Coast, Fremantle, Adelaide, Port Adelaide, because they play every second game. You know, but do you get used to if you're If you're West Coast, every I would have second thought week, so. you're getting used to... You get to, acclimatized yeah. to it, so, yeah. Whereas thought, Collingwood, they only play like three or four games outside of uh, Victoria for the whole year, don't they? Yeah. Don't tell Eddie that, he'll get <laughs> upset. But I've always been fascinated by why is it, across all sports, not just AFL, why is it so much more difficult to perform away from home? Is it... The, the travel? Is it the uncomfortable or unfamiliar surrounds? Is it not even sleeping in your own bed? Is it the umpires? Is it, you know, I'd, I'd love fans, to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's so, got to be a combination of all those things, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, you can't really put a tangible sort of... There's no, there's no way you can, like, quantify it, really. It's just sort of a, a host of things that might affect it. You can't yeah. really put it scientific analysis on it. I don't think Champion Data has yeah, a no, for well, that, well, Yeah, we wouldn't really uh, <clears throat> dug into it, but I think it is. It's just um, that professional environment. You're all about routine, aren't you? Mm. And that, that slight change to your routine of the travel and staying somewhere different. Mm. The dogs really surprised me, considering that, what, two from 17? Or two and 17? No, it's two out of 17. Two out of 17 yeah. over the last two and a half years or so, yeah. which is staggering considering they won two on the road in the final series in 2016 on the way to a premiership yep. I mean how far the, we'll talk about the dogs later but how far they've fallen absolutely is, uh, is strange hey speaking of uh, Fremantle as we did uh, a little bit earlier on the back of Michael Walters clutch fortnight and Melbourne's dismal finish up at the uh, top end Neil I'm sure mm-hmm. you're still recovering <laughs> it got us thinking about the great pub question and that is who would you want kicking for your life from 40 metres out directly in front Jake I know you're pretty strong on your uh, your, your man both 
past and present? Well, I'm probably more confident on my past player than my present player, but my present one would be Jack Gunston. I know he's sort of he was one of the sharpshooters in the league a few years ago, and he's sort of fallen away a little bit. But I still feel like when he's in a groove, he's he's he just doesn't miss, and he's and not only is he can you kick one from 40 meters out, I'd probably take him just about anywhere inside the forward 50 arc. He's pretty good anywhere. Um, but my past player has got to be Alan Didak. He was one of my favourite players to he watch missed, because he? he just didn't yeah. miss. Mm. He was he was as clutch as they come, and from all areas of the ground, from too. everywhere. And I remember he could, do, he could do it all. I remember one one day against Carlton. I think they were well in front of the Pies, but he decided from the boundary line about fifty five out just to launch a torp, and it just went never looked <laughs> like missing. One of the best kicks, um, field kicks and, and kicks for goal that. I've ever seen, if not the best, to be completely honest. Christian, have you had to think about this question? Yeah, I have. Um, I'll, I'll take the one that's, um, you know, that's been doing it recently. I'll take Michael Walters. Um, we've got him, again, going back the last four years. I think he's got the third best set shot accuracy in the competition in that time. I know it's not the best, but, um, yeah, he's, he's done it twice. He's clearly, I know I know the first week wasn't a goal, but it was still Good a winning kick, score. Good kick, though. A nice Look, a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't actually score a point from there. It was like 50 metres out on a pretty tight angle, and he, you know. Yeah. And just, Amazing, yeah, again, it was just it would it never looked like it wasn't going to score. He's hit the mm. post three quarters of the way up. But uh, yeah, I'll chose him as my um, present day player. And going back, a uh, sort of a uh, blast from the past for me. But Jason Paul Pleasure was just one of the most beautiful wow, and straightest set shot kicks. And I'm sure, again, I've, I've forgotten the stat now. About 08 or 09, I'm sure he was about twenty goals and one behind from set shots across the year. So I do remember that him does coming ring up a bell. very highly in the numbers. That's a great name. So my current uh, player, before we get to you, Neil, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Hawkins has kicked. 18 goals too over the last five weeks. So I think he's a... He's you love a, the, the Tomahawk, don't you? Might be the best should he, key should forward. Should he have got a week? Absolutely, he should have. Yeah, he That's should a, have. a discussion for another time. He's got a poor record too with he doing does. that sort of stuff. Silly. Don't S- he's always doing silly. stuff like that when the team's, does the Chris team's Scott performing have, well. Does Chris Scott have Chris O on the speed dial down at Geelong? Because the Cats got no seem, one coming your way. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so Tom Hawkins um, has been really good in front of the big sticks this year and I'd, I'd confidently back him from about 40 out straight in front. Uh, but back in the day, two of the best key forwards, in fact, two of the key forwards, they both pulled on the big V uh, in that uh, All-Stars game. I know who you're going to say. Brendan Favola. From from distance, he was better than he, than he was uh, from 20 out. Just he was would, a very good kick from 50. Was a very good kick from 50 and outside, so I'd back him if the player on the mark's at 40. Uh, and Jonathan Brown just kicked through the ball beautifully and was always you, a very good You stole mine for shot. the pass player in Jonathan Brown. I, I loved uh, as, as much mentality as much as it is technique, and he just looked like the sort of leader that would say, yep, I'm going to win this game, I've got to kick the goal. Come so, with me, boys. I'll, yeah, exactly I'll right. Through. And uh, on the other end of the scale for the modern-day player, I've actually got Jack Watts. So for as, as much as he's got some serious failings as a player, his, his set shots were, you know, just mark him down in, in the footy record. Uh, they were just going to go through. <laughs> I think Christian had a stat on Jack Watts being yep. so, one of the most accurate. Uh, well, I was saying Walters was third. We had Jack Watts as number one in that time. I think his set, so, set shot accuracy is about 77, 77% since 2016. That's incredible. Yeah. What's the average in the AFL? About 50% at the moment yeah, yeah. from set 50, shots? yeah. If only he could do X, Y, and Z and, and yeah. not just kick the ball so well. Yeah, Here's well, another name uh, from Blast from the Past, Nick Davis. He was Not only did he single-handedly win the Swans <laughs> that game against Geelong, but he was a very good kick for goal as well. Well, four last-quarter goals. I mean, you're, you're a star in anyone's books yeah, if you well, can do true. that. As, as we keep going on and on in this podcast, it's the most important skill in the game, isn't it? Kicking it through the sticks. Kicking accurately, yeah. absolutely. Hey, uh, let's move on to our next segment. How about stat with Champion Data? We mentioned this team a little bit earlier and we said we would delve into them uh, a bit more. But the curious case of the Western Bulldogs is one that fascinates me and I know it fascinates uh, the other members of the panel here. 
After the 2016 flag uh, and a couple of disappointing seasons since, many would have thought they'd be well in their, on their way to bouncing back up the ladder. Uh, more mature list, you know, the likes of Bontempelli, McRae, Liberatore, Daniel, uh, now sort of, you know, that sort of early to mid-20s age where their bodies start peaking. to fill out. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. They should be start to peaking. But they're wallowing sort of down the ladder at four and seven. Christian, can you help us? Can you shed some light on what's going on at the kennel? Yeah, so had a look at, um, again, just sort of summarising, you know, what we've, we've noticed from him. 2016, obviously, finished seventh after the home and away season, but won the flag. Um, 2017, they dropped to 10th. 2018, they were down to 13th. And this year, at the moment, currently standing at 14th. So just dropping each season since. Um, so Sorry to jump in. I think that's really important to, to mention, that to remind everyone, they, they finished seventh. Would we be marking them so harshly if they didn't? I mean, they pulled off an, an unprecedented... Um, finals run really mm. would we be marking them so harshly if they didn't actually win that probably not you only remember who won the flag you don't think oh who who came fifth or sixth exactly, that year yeah. so but I, I i think the majority of people assumed that they won that flag they got they caught fire for that month and that they would still be more natural improvement because they're they're a young list but it's, it's got, they've gone backwards since so, then yeah just sort of touching on that in that in that month of finals their top 10 rated players um across the 2016 final series was Bonds and Pally uh, Liam Picken, who's since retired, and uh, Clay Smith. Tom Liberatore, who, you know, still was about 23, I think, 24 that year. Josh Dunkley was still in his early 20s. Caleb Daniel might have just turned 20 that year. Lockie Hunter was in his early 20s. Luke Dalhouse, Tom Boyd, and Jason Johannesson. So their ten, top 10 rated players in that final series was a bunch of sort of, you know, Kids? early mm. early 20-year-olds that were just going to get better. Um, natural improvement, as we said, sort of in the pre-pod meeting. Um, just... I, you know, I think Bonson Pally, Liberatore, Dunkley, they're all fine. They're all, you know, above average, if not elite midfielders, but they just haven't taken that next step. The thing the thing about the names that you've just read out there, they're all <clears throat> they're all running midfield type players, aren't they? They're all they're either sort of midfielders that can swing forward or midfielders that can maybe swing back or play off the halfback flank. But it seems like the massive uh, question mark on their list build is the the key position areas in both ends of the ground. Correct. There's so, no identity there. Yeah, no identity like, either in the key back positions or or at key forwards. I mean, when Billy Gowers is your number one target for a lot of the year and you're swinging who could be um, a generational defender in Aaron Norton Norton forward to to kick goals some weeks. I mean, there's just no settled... They're not settled enough to to have an identity either forward or back, and I think that's really worrying. So that was the biggest thing. In 2016, they sort of reinvented this mid-forward position and we classify sort of... There's three types of midfielder. You're either a centre-bounce midfielder, a winger, or a mid-forward. In 2016, I think Bulldogs had about eight or nine midfielders on their list. Seven of those were mid-forwards, and the other two were centre-bounce midfielders. So they were they were sort of you know using their midfielders, playing them forward, and it worked, and it was brilliant, and it was sort of you know um, reinventing the wheel almost. You thought, well, how good is this? You get you you pick ten midfielders to play in your team. You play four of them at the centre-bounces, the rest elsewhere on the field, and it all works. But you're right, it was sort of masking the there was no sort of key forwards and backs behind them so I sort of looked at their again going back to their 2016 final series their top five most targeted players inside 50 during that final series were number one target was Zane Cordy he's now playing at fullback second highest uh, used target was Tom Boyd uh, who's retired earlier this year Tory Dixon was their third most used target Clay Smith fourth and Jake Stringer in fifth so only one of those guys Tory Dixon is still in their top five targets so it's not like any of those key forwards that they were playing in that final series have been part of their team going forward. It's just a whole new look forward line, isn't it? Mm. Correct. So their top five targets this year, Billy Gowers is their most used target. He's joined since the premiership. 
Bonsampalli second, Aaron Norton, who we did, just discussed, is third, Tory Dixon, and then Josh Dunkley, who's their fifth most used target. Again, sort of three midfielders, a medium yeah. forward, and a very, very good key defender in yeah. their top five targets. You nailed it. No disrespect to them, but then a lot of them aren't forwards, I and mean, they're just sort of being forced to play there. Is it is it little wonder that the, the blokes who are having the shots at goal, is it little wonder that their accuracy is league worst and by some margin? I mean, these blokes clearly aren't practicing enough at, at training because they're not forwards, and Lo and behold, they're still required and, and called upon to be the goal kickers in the in, in the team. Do yeah, we have correct. the stats on, on yeah, the accuracy? Yeah, so they're, they're scoring at um, 41.7%, so 42% this year shot at goal accuracy, which is 17th. Um, I think only Gold Coast worse. But it's also going the other way. Their opposition scoring at an accuracy of 51.7%, which is the second highest conceded of any side. So it's, it's, it's both ends are not, you know, they're not taking their opportunities up their end. When the ball gets down to the opposition forward line, the opposition are kicking Can we a goal. Put that down to luck, or is there is there something in the defensive setup that's? It that's... has to be if if it's if it's because it's considerably more than everyone, isn't it? My theory would be the fact that they don't have any really strong traditional key defenders or key forwards. The fact that your bigger targets often will take easier shots by taking a mark ten meters out directly in front, and vice versa. If you don't have any strong key defenders, the opposition key forwards are probably taking a lot more easy shots. So. I could well be wrong. I haven't really spent more than one, you know, one minute thinking like about it. Has it but to that be could, that like could that. be it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like that what the dogs need to do this coming off season is really chase a key forward, like uh, go really, really hard, or a, a key defender, or both. They, or they've both. got the war chest now with Boyd retiring. They say they've got a bit of a bit of a um, cash cash in the. Well, in, I think in the they've wallet. also got to decide where Norton's going to play. Is Norton going to be this generational yeah. defender, or is he going to play as a forward? Because we saw what he did against Richmond a few weeks back, where he just tore that game apart. Now he's not going to do that every week. But is he best suited as a forward or a defender? And if they decide, right, this guy's going to be our defender for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. then who they got to say, back. right, we've got to get a forward. Yeah. Who do they go for? Do they go for someone like Jonathan Patton, you know, a, a similar type to the Tom Boyd situation? Or if, or if North want to dangle a big carrot and put Ben Brown on the table, do to, to the doggies go for him? Oh, that'd be rude. It'd be rude not to ask the question. Mm. Um, but I also think... <laughs> rude not to ask the question. <laughs> Excuse me, North. Um I also think maybe you look at the Giants and they have a bit of key forward depth. So maybe you look at someone Today, like Jeremy yeah. Finlayson, who, who's turned his career, uh, not hasn't turned his career around, but he's blossomed, um, hasn't he? Imagine if they imagine if forward. they um, they put in an offer for him twelve months ago. I mean, he's just look at they his went, value. They now. went for Josh Shackey, which is unfortunately backing the wrong horse in that regard. But I think they've probably realised that they need they need key forward and key defending. But the thing with Shackey is, I mean, if you if you if they were to get. Finlayson or or uh, Brown or one of these guys, mm. then Shaki can almost come in, and I feel like it would help him enormously to be, Josh to be Jenkins playing off at Adelaide. Yeah, I mean, right. we talked about him last week, maybe being out of favour. There, the there's Crows. four or five of them out there that are, are probably gettable. Yeah, I, I think, think that's the way that they've got to go for sure. I think one thing's for sure. I think um, probably the doggies and Luke Beveridge are probably quite happy that the the absolute shocker of seasons that Colin, uh, that Carlton and, and Melbourne have had have taken a lot of pressure on on how they're going. For sure, I think um, as we said, we, they are kind of flying under the radar. Four and seven is probably not where they envisaged themselves at the start of the year. It's not where I envisaged them. I thought they'd be pushing for a spot in the finals. I mean, what, <laughs> Jake, <laughs> what Jake wasn't so confident. Finals no. oh, for who the knows? final spot in the eight. I mean, Frio and Brisbane are, are flying at the moment. No one probably expected them to be well, fifth like in the Brisbane, but not the Frio. top five teams were locked. But the the, the spots from sort of yeah. six to nine were all like, no, always up in the point. air. And I thought that that the list would mature. To I mean, a let's point be honest, one or two wins can separate seventh from. 14 yeah, yeah. 100%. So that, that is big for me though. Four and seven, yeah, it's not a great record. But the one, the last that I just found was they'd been in front for twenty six percent of game time this year, which is the lowest percentage of any team. So that again, you sort of take out, take that out. The teams are sort of beating them early. Yeah, yeah, not getting in front of games. So the curious case of the Bulldogs. We'll have to keep an eye on that as uh, we keep going forward. But it is time for my favourite segment. 
I've had a gutful. Jake, you've had a, an interesting morning. Um, I won't ruin it for everybody because I want you to tell the story, but please take it away and what have you had a gutful of this week? Well, as you guys are probably aware by now, well, I'm sure you are, about three and a half months ago, I got an, a letter in the mail um, requesting me to attend jury service. And I thought, gee, that's something different. I, I don't mind that. I'll, I'll, um, I'll put my hand up and I'll do it, try something different. So I signed the form, sent it back, and about three weeks after that, they sent me another letter saying, here's your date, you're going to be doing it in April. I thought, great. So we sorted it out here, we, we got it on our, our roster, and it was all locked in. Day before, I get an email off them saying, it's been postponed, you have to come the following day now. Okay, that's annoying, but we still shifted and shuffled everything around. The following day, an email off them, it's been cancelled now and pushed push back another month. We will notify you when um, when we have a new date. That's annoying as well. <laughs> so fast forward another month and I get another letter off them saying, right, your jury service is now June 3rd. So Monday. That's right, I think. Yep. yep. And um, I thought, okay, finally, the third time lucky. So we put it in the roster again, sh- uh, try and get everything sorted. And then I get another message off them saying, no, it's been pushed through till Tuesday, which was... Today. Hang on, that's today. Podcast, so. That's today. <laughs> How can you be so here if was, you're at Jury That was massively annoying because that meant Monday I had to work basically 13, 14 hours to do all the AFL content and all the other stuff I had to do for the week. Plus, we had the Brendan Bolton saga and everything else going on. So, it was a crazy day yesterday to try and get everything knocked off ahead of jury duty. And then I go into jury duty this morning and I get told that I'm not even required to be there. I can't believe this system. Seriously. Postponed four times and then just told, nah, we don't even need you anymore. This is not good enough, Melbourne Law Courts. <laughs> Did you get any feedback why you weren't needed today? No, I think it was because there was too many people there. Right. I think it has to have they, been that. They get a large cross-section of people when they just... Um, they. It's luck, really. I mean, you get selected at random, and then the next selection is chosen, and then uh, it's, it's and a I'm bit disappointed of a... now because I was kind of looking forward to doing it, and I had everything done, and I stayed up late last night to finish everything off, so I could just <laughs> not have to worry about it. And then you get there, and it's like, oh no, see you later. It is a great civic duty. I did it uh, earlier, and I did it last year uh, around um, must have been February, March or so, because I think I missed some some of the footy content stuff as well. And my case went for two weeks. It was one of the most interesting. Two experience. weeks. You told us it went for six weeks. What were you doing for the other four? <laughs> it gets longer every time, I think. <laughs> um, no, but it was a, a very interesting experience, and. Um, one I'd highly recommend. So it's almost a shame you didn't get it to do it. It is a shame. But, uh, but, it does eat um, into work time and it does frustrate employers. Very, well, fr- frustrating, not so much that, but it's just like the hassle of being postponed four times. Like I get once, maybe twice, but come on, lift your game. That's if that's, a, if that's a date, you're uh, saying no, never again to that girl because uh, if she's blown you off four times, <laughs> you don't want to know it. <laughs> Good rant. Yeah, I can see him. He had steam coming through the years when he came in this morning. You guys ever had the, uh, the jury call up? No. Oh, well, I actually, about four or five years ago, I got mine again a month out. Um, and I take an annual leave. So footy season finishes about October. My birthday's late October. I took two weeks of annual leave. Got a jury duty letter. Jury duty letter to say I'll be say uh, coming, <laughs> coming on the second day of my annual leave. So I was that pretty hurts. annoyed with so that. You had to go in the day before. It was. I was told to check five p.m. the day before whether my number was required. My number wasn't required. So enjoyed the Seems day. Seems like more people aren't required than required. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a great system no. for for the people that get called up or, or overlooked as it, as it turns out. I think the overwhelming uh, thoughts in this room is get your stuff together, <laughs> Melbourne Law Courts. What's going on? Let's move on. And the three votes goes to... Hey, um, there's going to be a bit of a lead into this week's three votes. 
I'm going to get to it eventually, but I'm going to have a bit of a rant as well, Jake. So I'm, I'm not trying to steal your, your spotlight I'm or anything. But, <laughs> well, we'll see what you think about this because I couldn't believe my eyes over the weekend when I saw that the AFL had banned a Richmond fan for three weeks. Three weeks for yelling, be consistent, you green maggot, at the footy. Can we get, are we allowed to say that on the podcast? That's a bit rude, isn't it? Is it a bit rude? You well, where, where do you start? This is a, this is a G-rated podcast. <laughs> a G-rated podcast, and how dare that person ask an umpire to be consistent uh, and call them a green maggot, something which has been going on for years in our great game. Now, last night I was watching Footy Classified, and Caroline Wilson said that uh, the AFL said that the Richmond Cheer Squad banned this fan, and that it was the, the like the responsibility was taken upon by the the Cheer Squad to ban this fan, and then. Um, she revealed that she talked to Richmond and that was not the case at all. And it was the AFL who came down to Richmond and said, you need to ban this fan for three weeks. We've got Tom Hawkins out there elbowing people in the face. Gary Ablett's punching people in the jaw. And they're not getting one week on the field. And you're banning fans for saying, be consistent, you green maggot, for three weeks. Where do we draw the line? Why is the AFL now coming to us and banning fans without before the start of the year having a list of saying hey we can't say this this and this because last year it would have been fine to say this and all of a sudden without warning players uh, sorry fans are getting banned for, for saying something which is honestly I mean if we're going to start banning people for saying this we're, we're in a lot of strife so you think umpires are a, a fair game you can you can pretty much unless it's not you know unless it's homophobic or racial etc etc oh that's that's off that's yeah of that's, course that's, that's that, that is stuff. a given but you reckon that there's just open season on them below that level I will give that umpire $1,000 right now if he heard that sledge it's a bit different when there are but players like Dale him. Thomas it's not about him I don't think no, no well maybe not but Dale Thomas saying you're a cheat umpire on the field is very different because it's picked up and he's the role model. But if you're in the fa- if you're in the stands and you pay your twenty five, twenty seven dollars to go to the footy and say be consistent, you green maggot, and you get banned for three weeks, I think we've got bigger problems than uh, than that. Including you touched on it uh, in Heroes and Villains this week, being the score review system. I mean, let's get that sorted first before we start banning fans for having a voice. Firstly, nice rant. I, I did enjoy that. Um, and you are passionate about this. But I have to say, I think you're off the mark. Like, I don't agree with it. Because I, I get that you, 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 know, you go to the game and you can do what you want. But I don't. people seem to take this too far. And people, and rightly so, react, you know, when, when there's a racial slur or a sexual slur, people go... And rightly so, you're right. You know, they go over the top. Oh, they shouldn't say this. How dare they? Blah, blah, blah. And they shouldn't say it. We shouldn't. No one should get away with saying this sort of stuff. However, you can't just abuse an umpire and say anything you want to an umpire. These are people. These aren't robots. Like you can't just say anything you want. Do you just walk down the street and just if you don't like what someone does, you just abuse them in the street? This is. I a, hope not. This is a PG-rated podcast, as I said. But none of those words that I said before, "be consistent," "you green maggot," are anything more than PG. No, and I'm look, sorry, three, but look, this a, is ridiculous. A three-week suspension is ridiculous because the the the, the Reality is there's probably 20,000 people over the weekend that have said something along those lines or worse, and they're not getting a suspension. Hey, I'll though. put my hand up. I was at the footy on the weekend. I 100% said something worse than that. I know you would have. <laughs> but I think what I think it seems a little bit heavy-handed by the AFL to just go bang, you know, you've got to sit out the next three weeks and you're not allowed to go to the footy. With no precedent set, like... I, I agree with that, but aren't, what they're trying to do is eradicate the, I guess, the, the social socially accepted abuse of umpires so it's much like they did with with racial um abuse 20 years ago or so it probably seemed heavy-handed back then it's only just a word so i think they're just trying to say maybe the the people around that person will try and 
think about, oh, maybe it's not acceptable and maybe the next generation of supporters won't see abusing an umpire as just a part of going to the footy. Yeah, and look, this all comes back to, to the grassroots level because, you know, people get frustrated when you say, oh, grassroots, what about, you know, the kids? But it's like the reality is if, if there's no grassroots, this sport is dead in 20 years' time. Who'd want, who'd want to be an you umpire know, if who, you get abused? 20- you might not hear it at the MCG when there's 50,000 people there, but if you're at a local ground where there's a dozen people watching the game and you're screaming abuse at a 15-year-old umpire, well, it doesn't matter how old the umpire is. That's a really bad look for everyone there, for the players, and it sets a really bad example for, for these youngsters growing up thinking it's all right to just abuse people. So I think I'm like, Matt, I can't, I can't see them coming up with a list of words or what you can and can't say, but you're sort of sitting here saying you can't abuse an umpire, you can't be open slather, but if I yell out an umpire, you've got no idea, is that worse or better than calling him a green maggot? That's I think that's 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 more acceptable because coin. So how do we know? That's so what I'm saying. Close there's, there's, to one but another. Yeah. Where's that's the line? Cool. That's an insult. Like that you're you're saying green maggot. I mean, I don't I don't know why people consider it an insult. I don't think I've ever said that in my life. But <laughs> really, that's really lost its. You're uh, a green maggot. Yeah. But if you're saying you have no idea, if you're saying oh you got no idea or be cons- I think that's a bit different. But name calling. That's not name calling. That's a, that's different. Whether you think it's it's derogatory or offensive where do we draw the line though because uh, honestly I don't think name calling we're going to sanitise the AFL to a point where we're all just sitting in our seats politely you know applauding Uh, uh, what has made our game great and what made funnily enough all the small stadiums the atmosphere so good at some of these places Victoria Park Princess Park Moorabbin back in the day Windy Hill was some of the animosity you heard from the fans and I I want to write a thing I want to write a piece about this later (laughs) in the year I've told you about it Neil about how uh, there's no hostility left in this in in footy, and there is in other codes. And not that I'm comparing footy to other codes, but well, you are. Well, maybe I am. But honestly, we're we're starting to go too far. And the three votes this week goes to the fans for kicking up a stink because I think they're they're right in saying, hey, we paid to go to the footy, we can have a voice. And I think be consistent, you green maggot. Getting banned for three weeks is too so, far. So you're in the camp then if you're paying you twenty seven dollars to go to the footy that you can just start a brawl with. If you, you say don't be like consistent, someone. you green maggot at the footy, maybe you get a warning. But do you but you're saying let's that, not suspend the bloke for three weeks. You're saying that if you go to the footy, you can do whatever you want essentially. Well no, that's not what I'm saying at all. But you said if you're saying these people are paying their money to go to the football, they're, they're entitled if you, to If you go to the football and start and spewing do... racist filth or sexist filth or homophobic filth, absolutely ban these people. But we're talking about be consistent, you green maggot. So there's so so racial name calling not on, but no. just any there's... other name calling is acceptable. See, I don't agree. I don't think either should be acceptable. Oh, I disagree, you dolt. <laughs> I mean, like, is that bad? Like that's as bad as green maggot. Let's let's not let's not, you know, um, get too carried away honestly Let's, the sanitization sanitization of this game is starting to go a bit far and the fans are rightly upset with it and I'm fully 100% behind them so three votes to you people um, oh, I've got to take a breath after that but uh, footytips.com.au is where you can tip with uh, family friends co-workers Neil, I know you've got some interesting stats you'd like to share uh, from the, the tipsters from the weekend. Yeah, well, it was, a, it was a difficult round for most tipsters. We didn't get any perfect rounds across the 650,000-odd uh, tippers in the Footy Tips database. Um, only uh, 203 people actually tipped or nine, and I think the average was just over six. It was a tough round. Yeah, I, it was a tough round. Yeah, a couple of upsets. Um, when the round, North when it on starts Friday early, you get, you, <laughs> the first two games were upsets, and then it sort of puts you on the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do I change a couple of tips mid, mid-round, or yeah. do you start second-guessing yourself? Um, but we want to give a shout out to the leading tipper across the whole database, who is uh, Aaliyah. I think I'm, I'm saying that right. Aaliyah M from uh, from WA. She is on Aaliyah, Aaliyah from Sydney Swans. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't been tipping with his team, has he? <laughs> uh, uh, they are on seventy six 
tips this, so far this year, that's which is 18 above that's the average. Yeah, that's, that's, so, Jake, um, I think you're really close to the top of our ladder. You're on 68. So, um, Aaliyah is actually eight above you. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Which is a pretty that's amazing... A, well, very and, good. Very impressed. And after um, the opening month or so of the of the season and getting uh, getting proked and potted by Matt about my tipping performances, I've now overtaken oh. Matt on 60, while she, you're on 59. <laughs> Gee, I've, you guys um, are miles behind. <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a real poor few weeks of just completely forgetting to tip on Friday <laughs> nights no, and having to scramble back later on. <laughs> now you're just backing the Blues every week. <laughs> I, did back him, I did back them this week. I, I did too. Bombers, I don't know what I was thinking. No, I don't know what I was thinking either. They were pathetic. Um, and continuing on the Western Australian theme, we've we've broken down the states um, or the tip of the state by state, and WA is the the best performed state so far. It's probably because the Dockers and the Eagles are doing so well. Um, and right down the the bottom end of the ladder is New South Wales, really struggling there. Ooh. So the, uh, the doesn't got- do well for the stereotypes of them not knowing much about footy, does it? <laughs> does it? <laughs> Hello to all our fans in New South Wales, by the way. Um, and looking ahead to um, this weekend, so it's the buy rounds. We haven't even mentioned the fact that there's only six games and it's the, the first of the, the three buy rounds. So um, only six games to choose from. Um, a couple of interesting ones. I thought um, the, the bounce back factor for, for Carlton with a new coach might might put a few people uh, towards going for the Blues over the Lions. The Lions are playing good footy. but or they would have loved to an extra week, the Lions. Just, yes, just wouldn't for that they? Decision. Yeah. <laughs> so, stat of the day for the bounce back factor. Um, so, caretaker coaches since 2000. In their first game, they have 10 wins and 14 loss record. In their second game, two wins and 19 loss record. So, Ooh. good luck, Reece Shaw, this week. Against the Gold Coast Suns, too. They've a uh, bogey, bogey team for favorites. the... Well, I mean, North have traditionally not played well against the Suns either, so maybe that is one to watch out for. I might get into that in uh, when we look through our outsiders and locks a have little I jumped, bit later. Have I jumped the game? Yeah, a little bit. But, yeah, at the moment, um, only 7% of tippers have gone for Carlton. Um, and the other interesting one is, yeah, as you said, um, Gold Coast versus North Melbourne. 80% of tippers have gone for North Melbourne so far. So maybe if you're chasing an upset, look at that one. Yeah, well, speaking of certainties and upsets, I'll jump in. I think that's going to be my upset then. I think the Gold Coast Suns will beat uh, North Melbourne this week. Uh, my certainty... Gee, there's a few good games, but I reckon the GWS Giants are just going to do a number on the Adelaide Crows. Who have just I still can't get a read on the Crows, unfortunately. Jake? Mm, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, but I think uh, it's hard to get past Collingwood. They, they should bounce back. Can't, can't say I'm losing two in a row. Uh, so they should beat Melbourne on Queen's birthday. Um, and Richmond, for me, is an upset. I think that's... I'm surprised that they're, they're pretty, you know, decent odds um, against the Cats. I know the Cats are flying well, but Richmond don't play at Marvel Stadium that well, and I think a return to the MCG... Um, will be really good for him. Yeah, I've got Collingwood as my certainty, and I'm the opposite to Matt this week. I've gone Adelaide as my outsider, exactly for the same reason you said. I can't get a <laughs> gauge on him. I'm not really expecting him to win, so they'll probably come out and win. I reckon they'd be the good team logic. that I'd probably have would have tipped wrong. Tipping well, logic. Looking, wrong. looking at my tipping for this year, you're probably spot on. So, um, I unfortunately, as a Melbourne fan, um, agree with uh, Jake and, and Christian about. Um, Collingwood being a lock on Queen's birthday. And, and my outsider, speaking of the bounce-back factor, is the Blues to actually get over the line. So I think... I, th- I don't know why. I think I've tipped the Blues three or four times this year. I, and I, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Did and you, expecting did you a back in the week they won? <laughs> I don't know if I did, but I can see him beating the lines uh, at home. So Well, we'll see how, how they go. Hey, please uh, rate and subscribe. Uh, we have run out of time, though, so we will speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.